VOCM presents Open Line. The opinions expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the station. And now your host, Patty Daly. Good morning. Good morning. Hello, Linda Swain in for Patty Daly this morning. And uh, it's a wet one on the Avalon Peninsula for a change. Uh, we'll get into that now in a minute. But the big news yesterday, of course, was the cabinet shuffle, which ended up being just a uh, two senior minister switch up. John Hagee moves to education after seven years in the health portfolio. I think that's a record, if not a near record. Uh, That's an awful long time for one minister to be in charge of a uh, single department. And uh, Tom Osborne, who has uh, filled many roles over the years, including health before, and uh, finance, of course, he moves back to health, only under the Liberal banner this time, at what is arguably one of the most critical periods in the province's history, of course. The health accord process, arguably, is just beginning with some major transitions, including the amalgamation of the four health authorities into one. That process is now underway. And the ongoing issue of recruitment and retention of healthcare professionals. And over the last few days, we've heard some really stark stories from individuals who are facing some of these problems. Now, nobody... I shouldn't say nobody, but very few people who have had encounters with the health um, system, once you get in and once you're taken care of, you do feel taken care of. I've been through it myself. I've been through it with loved ones. And, uh, you know, the professionals who are in the system are working very hard and very professionally. And I do understand that things go wrong and things happen. But uh, overall, you know, they're dedicated people. They're working very, very hard. Um, But this whole issue of recruitment and retention of healthcare professionals, and I think the COVID pandemic um, has made things worse in a lot of ways because a lot of workers were overworked. Um, They had to put their vacation times on hold. A lot of them are trying to do that now, just as the healthcare system is starting to ramp up and getting back to normal, so so to speak. When people who've had procedures or surgeries, elective surgeries, uh, cancelled or delayed, and are finally trying to get those things taken care of, because even if it isn't life-threatening, you can live in a lot of misery with something like awaiting a knee replacement or gallbladder surgery or whatever the case may be. Um, So it's been a hard couple of years. So Tom Osborne is taking over this portfolio at what arguably is the most critical time in the province's history in terms of health care delivery. So we're hoping to hear from the minister, if at all possible. We're reaching out to see if he's available. He's no doubt getting briefed or rebriefed on the portfolio, but he does uh, pride himself in making himself available. So we're hoping we'll hear from him this morning and see what he has in store uh, or what is in store in the weeks, months and years ahead. Well, as you know, uh, breaking news, CUPE is on strike in Mount Pearl. And that doesn't just affect people in Mount Pearl, of course, uh, although it affects them more more profoundly, but it affects, really arguably, the entire province. If you've ever been to Mount Pearl, and many across the province have, to attend various sporting events, you know that the city is a hub for sport and recreation. 
There are many facilities dedicated to a variety of sporting and recreational activities that are run and maintained by city staff. And of course, the summit includes the Summit Center, the Glacier. No doubt a lot of people have been there, either with their youngsters or themselves, to take in some of the facilities there, some really world-class facilities. And uh, the local community centers in Mount Pearl are all closed, so that means indoor sports and recreation uh, will probably be interrupted for the time being until this situation is resolved. Uh, I'd like to hear from you. Uh, Does it affect you? We're also hoping to hear from the union this morning. We've put out a few feelers on that uh, realm to hear what they have to say. And um, I was speaking to some union officials yesterday who indicated that they really did not want to have to take strike action, but they held a vote last night, and uh, overwhelmingly, what that's what the membership decided to do. So, uh, just one moment, I have to cough. Dave, don't, <laughs> don't flick on the commercials yet. Just one moment. Well, gas prices are down for now. How has the rising cost of fuel affected you and what you do? So the argument is that, um, well, I mean, there's world events that we have no control over. Uh, And uh, demand and lack of refining capacity, lack of production capacity, all of these things, the low Canadian dollar, are all affecting gas prices. And on a political level, some argue, that that's exactly what some governments want because they want people to reduce the use of gas or fuel. But is it having any impact? I mean, or are you just being forced to swallow it? I know this is a busy summer season and and I'm doing more commuting than ever before. Trust me on this one. (laughs) It's driving me nuts. Carting the young fellow back and forth to camp and sporting activities. There is really no way my husband's involved in sports as well. So he's going back and forth. We have one vehicle. And there is no way to change that unless somehow we invest in a horse. (laughs) We're trying our best. We're trying to uh, carpool with other people and all of this kind of stuff. It is a real hassle. The alternatives are severely limited so we're having to swallow it and just pay extra and run around like i don't know wild banshees we do have an electric vehicle road show right now that's hitting grand falls windsor today cromer avenue at noon by the way hopefully the weather holds have you considered buying an electric vehicle i think many people like the concept of an ev and would love to have one. But getting one is not as easy as some might think. I mean, of course, there's supply chain issues and all the, the rest of it. And then there's cost. And then there's if it's appropriate for you and your needs, you know, size and all of that sort of stuff. Um, and they're great things. I mean, I've had a, a, I've had a run in a Tesla. They're beautiful vehicles really sexy uh and uh, and powerful surprisingly powerful like uh, you, you know um i was uh, really surprised by, by the amount of room that little thing had um but it's not as easy as all of that and more electric charging stations are going in across the province all the time but are they enough anyway i'd like to hear what people have to say about that because climate change is real it is real 
It's raining on the Avalon Peninsula right now, finally. It seems like it's been a little bit of a dry spell recently. Uh, I noticed this morning on the Outer Ring Road a lot of water buildup. It seems like it's been an unusually warm, dry summer in these parts. But then, when you think about it, it has been for the last few years, hasn't it? Since COVID began, we had three Victoria Day weekends in a row. And I, <laughs> I know this because during COVID, we didn't do an awful lot of stuff. So it sticks out in my mind. But we had three Victoria Day weekends in a row that were actually warm. Hot, if you will. Beautiful sunshine, warm temperatures, t-shirt weather. And that's never the case in Newfoundland, especially in the eastern portion of Newfoundland, where we are broadcasting from this morning. Um, May 24th was always cool, even wintry. It was miserable. And this was the big joke, you know, it was everybody wanted to go out camping, but you really had to have that kind of constitution <laughs> to want to go out and camp in cold, wet, miserable weather. Um, a half an inch of sloppy snow lying on the ground, that was only 40 years ago. We haven't seen that in a while. Things are changing. Things are changing pretty dramatically. Um, I was talking to somebody the other day telling me about an area of Europe that uh, in the past week has been encountering 38-degree temperatures in a portion of Europe that never sees those kind of temperatures. It's, it's all over the world, and it's a little bit spooky. Anyway, if you have any thoughts on those things or anything else, um, including the ongoing problems with uh, travel because we've been talking about that in the last week, but I'm not hearing a lot from people who have been affected. I'd like to hear from you as well. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we hope to hear from you. And we're back. We're going to go now to the lines, and we're going to speak with Daryl. You're on the air. Hi, Daryl. Oh, hi, Linda. How are you today? Great. How are you? Oh, I'm doing good. Thank you uh, very much. Uh, what I'm calling about today is about, uh, well, as you know, there's a lot, a lot of major problems when it comes to travel uh, I guess anywhere in the world now, and, and people having a lot of issues, and there's staffing issues, and the list goes on. But uh, what I don't understand, many moons ago, uh, there was an open skies agreement put into place. And that was under the Bill Clinton administration at the time, if I'm not mistaken. And that was supposed to be like a, more or less like a free trade from Canada to U.S., like any airlines could set up. Uh, come anywhere in Canada and the U.S. and so forth. And, but yet I see, like, for example, do you look at Flair Air had an issue there a while back, had something to do with, like, these conditions, like ownership, got to be so much Canadian and so forth. But uh, I stand to be corrected, but that seems like to override the Open Skies Agreement. Open Skies Agreement is supposed to be free for all on both sides of the border. And I think if that was uh, should be implemented, uh, you could probably have more airlines and more availability, like coming like to Newfoundland and Labrador, even though now we got staffing issues and there's a lot of problems like, you know, work-wise and so forth. But, I mean, I think this uh, this issue got to be pushed, and that Open Skies Agreement is supposed to be free-for-all on both sides of the border. So uh, maybe we could have more airlines coming to the province if this was actually uh, enforced what it's supposed to uh, be. 
That's a good question. I I I barely remember that. I remember the term open skies agreement, but I can yeah. I can hardly remember now uh, what that was all about or you know whether it was adopt, adopted here at all. I mean, it's one yeah. thing for I'm sorry, it's one thing for another um, country to open that kind of thing up. Was it bilateral? Uh, yeah, it was, it was bilateral, and the deal was at the time was Bill Clinton. I'm not sure who the prime minister was then. Might have been uh, John Cretchen. I'm not, I'm not totally sure. But the Open Skies Agreement was that it was supposed to be bilateral on both sides. Uh, I think at the time, our part of it had more leeway. And over, I think it was a period of two or three years, it was supposed to be open on both sides. But at that time, the Canadian airlines had more access to the U.S. market, and uh, Bill Clinton, they agreed to it. But over a three-year period, it was supposed to be bilateral, back and forth, like free-for-all. Interesting. I, I remember that. I remember that vividly, and uh, and uh, so seemed like I don't hear tell of it. So when you're, when I'm hearing like uh, airline got to come into Canada, have so much Canadian ownership and all that, uh, that that's sort of voiding the open skies agreement from what from what I could uh, understand there. And Flair was a good example when they had the turbulence there a while back, uh, trying to get things uh, straightened away. So uh, this is what wants to be explored or. or or be pushed by the politicians or uh, the travel sector or uh, hospitality to Newfoundland Labrador, whatever the case may be. But uh, but uh, so I remember that. So I don't know why we still got all these uh, issues pertaining to uh, trying to get airlines, like especially come to Newfoundland Labrador, for example. That's a really good question, Daryl. And um, I tell you what, we're going to try and reach Woody French to see if he knows anything about that or how that played out in the end. Yeah, because, I mean, that, that was, uh, if I, that, that was, uh, my God, that was over, well, Bill Clinton was in power then. Oh, my goodness, so that was 40, what, over, 40 years ago, 35, 40 years ago? Uh, about, uh, I would say, uh, it was, uh, I think it was about the mid-90s for sure. If I, I stand to be corrected whenever he was in power. And uh, so, again, like, we we always still got this red tape, and we got to get through the red tape because the, uh, the more red tape, the less we prosper, and, and we got to start forging ahead. And that that pertains to any sector in general. Uh, I find here in Canada we got too much too much red tape, and it's time to cut through it. And if we cut through the red tape, then everybody benefits and prospers. Indeed, and uh, I mean we had a whole red tape reduction process that was underway. Oh gosh, what was it, fifteen twenty years ago? Uh, yes. I wonder how that's worked out. I wonder if people do find it easier to get their government business done. Yeah, it would be interesting to see because, like, when you hear people calling your show, you, you still hear a lot of people got still a lot of obstacles in, in, in general in every aspect in life. So uh, it's a good question, and uh, uh, maybe that open sky is a thing. Uh, maybe that could be going for uh, on target as well. Super. Well, Daryl, uh, I really appreciate your call this morning. We'll see what others have to say on that. And we're going to try and reach out to uh, Woody French, see if he knows yeah. anything more about this Open Skies uh, Agreement and, and where it stands now. Yeah, and not, not only uh, probably Woody French, but uh, try to probably get some uh, politicians to come on on the federal uh, level as well, uh, like the Minister of Transport would be going, for example. I mean, they should be well-versed on all this stuff, right? So, so uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to see. And, and we, we need to prosper more. We want the tourism industry, like... Uh, the boom more and we can have more accessibility especially here in an island like newfoundland labrador so more accessibility the more uh, we'll prosper in general thanks daryl 
Thank you, uh, Linda. Uh, keep up the great work, and, and thanks for having me on your show. And all, right. all the best to you and VOCM and your listening audience. Thank you. Have a great Thank day. You. Take care. Bye-bye. Right, you as well. Bye. Um, we're going to go now to Linda. You're on the air. Hi, Linda. Hi. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Not too bad. I'm just calling in now. I live out here in the Ghouls. Yeah. And I take the Metrobus downtown to go to work every day. Mm-hmm. Now there's no Metrobus. It doesn't pass my door. I had to walk a half an hour to get to the stop. Is that because of all the construction Because work? of all the construction. Last year when they tore up the same road, the bus went off the route. Uh, I didn't have to walk as far, but it, it was enough that I'm, I'm not that fish that I, that I can't walk, but I mean, my feet are bad and I, I just couldn't do it. I t- end up taking a taxi to George Street every single day. Oh, dear, taxi, what an expense. And a taxi home. Yeah, that's a that big expense. That went down for a month and a half. And now this here, I've got to walk a half an hour, assumed to, the, it would have been like 15 minutes last year. And I, I just can't do it. Uh, this year now, it just so happened, my brother-in-law got laid off just as this happened. So he's taking me back and forth. But if he goes back to work, I'm back to taxis again. And what do you think of the, um, the progress of, of construction there? Is it going uh, fast enough? Mess. No, it's not. It's a mess. It's a mess. I don't know what I've called. I've called the Metrobus. They said it's not their problem; it's the city's problem. I called the city. Nobody did get back to me. I Is mean, there any I, time I, frame on the work there when it's supposed to be completed by? Yeah, the end of November. Oh my goodness, that's a long time. A long time. If I have, have to go back to taxi, and sure, I can't afford to take a taxi to work. It's thirty-five bucks each way. So the Ghouls has and become. I can't afford to quit. <laughs> no, indeed, uh, the Ghouls has become Kenmount Road. Oh, it's worse. It's a eyesore, and it's right outside my door. Like, there's days we can't even get out of the driveway. Like, it's, it's really sad. I can't believe that they've let us. But what makes me mad is the Metrobus won't do nothing about it, but the Go Bus is coming in picking up people. The community bus is picking up people and bringing them to the Bid Goods parking lot, and they're doing that no problem. So why can't they get a Metrobus in here? It's not, I'm sure it's not only me. When I get on that bus, that bus is almost full. During COVID, there was a couple of times that I couldn't even get on the bus because it was full with the capacity. Well, and I suppose the the you know the metro buses are have that much lower aspect, right? They're they're much closer to the ground than let's say a go bus, yes. if you know what yeah. I mean. So it might yeah. be difficult for them to get one of those things, and I I would imagine that the ride would not be that comfortable going no. over all of that. But it would be cheaper for I'd rather go on that than get a, than paying seventy dollars a day to go to work when I'm only working for minimum wage. Indeed. Yeah. So, um, like, it really doesn't make sense. Like, I, I don't understand why they can't, like, start an hour early and take their time because now I'm talking to people that they do walk to get to the bus, but there's no, they're not, they're not getting their connections at the village because the buses are not waiting. So, I'd probably have to leave here at 8 o'clock if the buses did go in order to get to work for 10.30. <laughs> well, that's, um, uh, you're raising a really in- interesting point there, and we're going to try and reach your uh, ward councillor to uh, talk a little bit about that and see what, what the situation is there. Yeah. So and I just said I'd call in this morning because I was just, because I listen to the show every morning as I'm getting ready for work, and I just, and investors gave out, gave themselves a shout out for their excellent service and their stuff, and I'm thinking, excellent service? <laughs> I mean, sure, they are in parts of town, but they're not helping me. I'm paying my taxes just the same as everybody else. Linda, I appreciate your call. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks, bye-bye. Bye-bye. We're going to go now to, uh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut her off like that. Uh, the, 
this mouse is very sensitive. Uh, we're going to go now to Tom. You're on the air. Hi, good morning, Linda. How are you? Oh, good, Tom Badcock. How are you? I can't complain. I'm here I'm here in Coleman's paying for my pork chops at the same time as I picked up on the call. I'm good, thank you. Uh, yeah, Linda, I wanted to call, make a quick call to you this morning because I'm sure everybody in, uh, in the province who watch any kind of TV at all has been seeing these 995 things on TV to buy insurance. Uh, I'm not going to name the name of the company, but uh, I'm sure... I'm sure you've seen us. It says buy this insurance at 9.95 a month, regardless of how old you are, your medical condition, or any of those kind of things. Have you seen one of those commercials? I have, and uh, I've often wondered, you know, how <clears throat> how that works, <laughs> what the well, kind of business model that. is involved in that. <laughs> at my age, okay, if I were to go now at my age and buy this, first of all, I have to wait two years, okay? I have to wait two years after paying before I would get a benefit. So if I were to die within the two years, I'd get absolutely nothing. And after two years and one day, if I were to kick the bucket, you know how much money my wife would get? Tell me. $772. There you go. (laughs) Well, that's why it's important to read that fine print to understand what you're dealing with. If it looks like it's too good to be true, chances are it is. There's got to be some, I mean... Uh, you know, you have to look at the bigger picture and wonder how, you know, a company is going to make its money. It's going to make its money somehow. Oh, yeah, it's crazy. It's just people paying these premiums. Uh, You know, I call it senior rate is what it is. It's uh, taking advantage of people uh, who like some insurance probably to pay for their funerals or things. And this wouldn't even pay for the flowers, for goodness sake. And you won't find this in the fine print. you got to really, like I... I just thought I'd call, and then some agency in Newfoundland called me back. And then I got the guy on the phone, and I said, man, oh, man, how can you do this to people? And he actually hung up on me. So uh, I just want to call and let you know that if any people are out there thinking about getting involved with this foolishness, don't waste your money, you know. Put your $9.95 a month in in the bank and hope that you live long enough to be able to accumulate enough to pay for your funeral because this is a real scam. Well, it's a, it's important to always remember, buyer beware, to that always ask questions before you put your money on the line. Always ask questions. Always uh, get the answers that you're looking for. If you're not satisfied with the answers you're getting, don't pay. You got that right. So, so thanks for taking my call. I won't keep you any longer. All so, right, Tom. Thanks. Uh, have a good day. Okay, right. bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh, we're going to go now to Carl Ridgely, who is the ward counselor in the Ghouls. Hello, Carl. Hello, Linda. How are you? Great. This is uh, your and my first time speaking to each other. Hello. It is, yeah. Hello, Hara. <laughs> good. So, construction in the Ghouls. I got caught up in that back in May, went to to Petty Harbor and came around because I like to do that nice little scenic and I went, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh, I made a mistake. Uh, What's going on? Well, the biggest thing is this is a project that is pretty well forced on the city, which is a good thing for all residents. Uh, You know, the federal government mandated that we're not allowed to have any uh, sewage basically being pumped into uh, the ocean without being treated. So, uh, and right now, as we speak, there you know there's still 
human waste going out in the Solway, down Solway Road, in the ghoul. So it's not acceptable. And, and the pipe is after breaking numerous times, going down the road. And anybody else that frequents it on ATVs and that has, have come across it for sure. So anyway, we started the project. Uh, is a three-phase three phase project. Uh, the total cost is around $27 million. The pump station is done. So that the pumping station is complete. The ghouls phase, uh, which goes from the pumping station out as far as, I think, 65 Main Road, they had roughly, I can't remember the exact number now, but close to 3,000 metres of pipe to go in. And they're right now, they're down to... Last week, they were at 120 or 130 meters. So right now, they're working in front of Keats. I'd say they're down to less than 100 meters of pipe left to go in the ground. Once that's in the ground, in the ghouls area, then the, the, the pavement will be covered and it'll be somewhat back to normal in the ghouls. Uh, I know people are, you know, people are finding it hard to get around the Metro bus schedule and getting around on Metro bus has been a nightmare. But, you know... I'm hearing, I'm, I'm hearing this, and uh, but the construction got to happen. And you know, at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, it's going to be better for everybody. It really is. Oh, no doubt. And uh, these kind of tear-ups, especially when you're looking at that extensive kind of work, is going to be significant. Um, is, is the time frame still November, or are there any hopes that uh, you know people so, will see some relief soon? The phase uh, now, listen, I might have this mixed up, but phase two and phase three, so. I think phase two is the ghoul section. Phase three is Kilbride. It's down, you know, like the pipe is in the ground six meters, seven meters at times, which is, you know, 20, 21 feet. So the holes are down much deeper, which takes a little bit longer. I know there's, you know, there's businesses in Kilbride that are hurting, but this is their second year. You know, I I spoke with Kirk Fleming last night at Fleming's Furniture Mart, and uh, it, it's killing them, you know, in Kilbride, and, and, and understandably, uh, you know, what I'm trying to work with staff to, to alleviate some of their concerns. But, uh, you know, I, I'm I'm not the construction people, but, you know, I think that in the ghouls, you're, you're going to see clean up well before the end of November. I think they're ahead of schedule. Uh, Kilbride, I think they're on schedule. If not, they might be a little bit behind, but I, I, I think they're doing really well on their schedule in Kilbride. So I'm, I'm hoping, because, listen, I live in the ghouls. I, I drive through it every day. I see what people are, are seeing, and I'm, I'm driving the same roads. I'm hoping that it's all going to be done by, by November. So uh, is there going to be any kind of compensation or help for some of those businesses that are being affected? You know, you like, you went through it for the last couple of years on Kenmount Road. So, you know, I as for, you know, the, the best that, that we can do as a city is really just try to alleviate any congestion that we got for the businesses. You know, a couple of weeks ago, Marie's Mini Mart. I know last year it was Sissa Seafood, a further up. Uh, you know, like I said, is Kirk out in Kilbride is is struggling this year because you know his traffic is down sixty seventy percent, and he hit, he got hit last year with the same thing. Uh, you know, right now when I came to work this morning, they were they had Keith, you know they were going right across in front of Keith's takeout. So everybody is taking a hit on us. It's just at different times, and you know compensation. I don't think it's going to be any compensation. My biggest concern with it all is is really is is you know people being able to get around that that you know. I, I I take the, my own vehicle to work, uh, got to because of the travel and moving around. But anybody that's using the metro bus or you know taxis or go bus, then right now their schedules are definitely are definitely impacted. And uh, 
you know, I'm hoping that the quicker we can get it done, the quicker we can alleviate those problems for those people. Any hopes that the, the Metro bus uh, schedule uh, or uh, route, I should say, will be altered in the near future for someone like Linda? Uh, it, it, it has been altered. So th the problem is it is altered right now. So the Metro bus routes are altered, and that's what's causing the issues. I'm hoping that the Metro bus routes are going to get back to normal sooner rather than later, and then the, the problems will be alleviated. Well, Carl, I really appreciate you getting back to us uh, so quickly. Uh, thanks so much, and uh, don't be a stranger. Just and, and just on another note, it's yeah. just, and, you know, I got an email yesterday about Metrobus and everything else, and I know, and these numbers are going to affect it. So, like June of this year is the highest numbers that Metrobus had in in recent history of ridership, which is good news for Metrobus. But you know, those numbers are that that high, and I know that the ridership is down in the ghouls. But, you know, I, I really hope that Linda and whoever else, I, I had a couple of calls, you know, in the last two weeks. You know, some people asking to stop the construction because they can't get to work. And, and you know, some, that's that's a real concern. And, uh, you know, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm like everybody else. I'm hoping that, that it keeps moving the way it is and, it, you know, this is going to be done. And once it's done, it's going to open up so many opportunities for other people or other households and streets to get water and sewer. It's going to let individuals build a house on family land on Bay Road that right now don't meet the criteria, but in November, they're going to be able to build their, their family home on family land that right now they can't. So, you know, while it's an inconvenience for many, well, it's an inconvenience for all, at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, it's it's going to be good for everybody. And, you know, I, I, I met a point last week saying that to, to another reporter and you know, we just came out of a pandemic. Listen, we've been locked down for two and a half years, going around with face masks on. Everything is at no flights, no, like you couldn't go to a movie, you couldn't go to a hockey game, you couldn't. And we got through that. We really did. And, we, and you know, we're a resilient bunch and we're going to get through this and this construction season. But, you know, a 10-minute delay or a five-minute delay at a flags person, there's no sense getting upset at the flag people. There's no sense getting upset at the Metro bus drivers because, you know, listen, we're... But a 10-minute delay to get somewhere, whether it's O'Brien's and Bay Bulls or get down to the, to the you know, the green lab down in, in Pity Harbor. It's just, listen, we, we, we'll get there. We'll get it done safe. And, and at the end of the day, hopefully everybody is uh, satisfied with it all. Carl, I really appreciate your time. Thank you. No problem. Have a good one. All right. Bye-bye. And we'll be back right after this. We'll hear from uh, CUPE President Local 2099, Ken Turner, about the strike in Mount Pearl coming up right after this. Weekdays on VOCM. It's Open Line with your host, Patty Daly. Join the conversation each morning from 9 a.m. to noon on your VOCM. We get people talking. Linda Swain in for Patty Daly, who's on vacation and a rollicking start to the show this morning. Thanks very much to our callers. Uh, we have some lines open if you want to give us a call. Now is your chance to do so. We're going to go now to QP Local President 2099 in the city of Mount Pearl. Ken Turner, hello. Hello, Ken. Hi, good morning, Linda. So you're on the picket line. We are on the picket lines. We absolutely are, yes. How many members are are, uh, are uh, on strike right now? Uh, we have uh, 200 members, just over 200 members that have uh, given us a mandate to uh, go on strike right now. So uh, what kind of um, work do they do? Well, as most people are quite aware, our municipal workers do 
quite a number of different tasks throughout the city. Uh, our primary function, of course, is our garbage collection and water and sewer and our roads work and, of course, our recreation facilities, uh, maintenance, and uh, also our parks and trails, uh, again, maintenance and, uh, and landscaping. So uh, quite a bit of work, and that's only... Uh, that's the uh, that's the of course mainly the outside workers and our maintenance crew, and of course if you move to our administration staff, uh, of course they look after things such as uh, taxation and uh, inspections, and uh, so basically uh, the majority of the work that goes on within the city is handled by our bargaining unit members. So when we spoke yesterday, you indicated that uh, you really were trying to avoid a strike, but the members have spoken. Uh, uh, what are their concerns? Well, this is true, Linda. We really worked hard at the bargaining table to try to avoid this. Uh, you know, we, we went to the employer on a number of occasions, and uh, we certainly let council know how our, our folks felt. And uh, But it, there came to a point in, uh, in the last uh, meeting with the employer that we realized that uh, we were still too far apart uh, with the with the types of uh, concessions that they had on the table. And uh, we took this back to our members. We've had a number of meetings with our members, but we took this back to our members to say, where are we? And right now, you can see where we are. We have a 92% um, strike mandate for our membership to say, we're not accepting these concessions that the uh, city has proposed. So in any bargaining, um, there's always a give and take. There's always um, some kind of concessions. But obviously, uh, the union feels that uh, the concessions that are being sought here are not satisfactory. So I, I know that a lot of people try to avoid negotiating in public. But essentially, what was offered? Well, absolutely. And you know, Linda, that of course, we're not going to bargain in public. And we wouldn't expect that the city would either. It's not bargaining in good faith. But I will say that there, uh, the language that has been presented, uh, it is fundamental language that changes the meaning of our collective agreement and does certainly does uh, reduce uh, the, the benefits and, and, and uh, rights of our workers. Um, you know, it, it sets up uh, two-tiered systems, which, of course, we don't, uh, we don't adhere to, we don't appreciate. Uh, all workers do a job, and all workers deserve the same uh, benefits and, and rights under the collective agreement. Uh, so these are things that our members absolutely uh, could not accept and would not accept and gave us a very strong message last night uh, that we were to let council know that this is not on for us. Are you open to uh, going back to the bargaining table? Absolutely. I mean, uh, the city walked away from the table uh, at our last meeting. I mean, we sent language over and we made changes to the language uh, that we thought uh, the city would take a look at, but um, they weren't satisfied with the changes that, that we made, uh, and they chose to walk from the table at that time. So, we were with the, yeah, we were at the conciliator for probably about uh, about four hours, I would say. So it's a bit of a miserable day today to be out on the picket line. Uh, are you are you you know resolved to to be there for as long as it takes? We are resolved to be there as long as it take, takes. Absolutely, our members are committed. They are committed to one another. Uh, they are, uh, you know, as they say, we see that it is quite a damp day out there. It started last night and it moved on into today. 
And you know what they say about weather and weddings. Well, we're going to take that same mantra with our folks, and and that's how we're going to that's how we're going to take it. And it certainly hasn't dampened the solidarity of those members out on the line. They are absolutely committed to however long this takes to ensure that we protect the rights of our collective agreement. The mayor this morning indicated that um, you're, you're closer, uh, you have more in common, I suppose, than you do the union, I mean, and, and its workers and, and the city, then, you know, there are differences. Uh, so he feels there's a lot of common ground there. You're all dedicated to uh, providing the best services possible to the people of Mount Pearl and surrounding area, for that matter. Um, so uh, do, you, do you feel hopeful that, you know, the, the, the city might be open? Open to uh, returning to the bargaining table? Well, the mayor has been briefed, I'm sure, and he's well aware. I know he said there was uh, five or six items that were still left on the table, and that certainly doesn't sound like much on face value. And I will agree that we have uh, bargained uh, in good faith uh, for months and, and changed a lot of language in the collective agreement and some, some uh, minor amendments to language and, 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 and good language. Um, however, um, he's also well aware that the items that are left on the table are major concessions. Like these are concessions that are not acceptable to our members. Uh, two-tiered systems uh, within our organization creates uh, a divide amongst our workers and it creates a, a situation where we have one set of workers with a certain type of benefit or, or and, and, and other workers with, with different benefits. And that's not fair. That's not fair to workers. It's not fair to workers anywhere. We all do the same job. We all come in and work hard. We work for the residents of Mount Pearl. We're proud of the work we do and we absolutely deserve to have the same rights and benefits across the board. And these folks have spoken very strongly on that. Ken Turner, QP President, Local 2099. I really appreciate your time this morning. Thank you very much. No, thank you, Linda, for having me on. I very much appreciate it. And to the residents of Mount Pearl, we will try to resolve this as quickly as possible. And, uh, and we are certainly apologetic for any disruption, but we certainly do have to uh, stand up and defend our agreement. Appreciate your call. Thank you. Thank you, Linda. All righty. Bye-bye. Uh, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to hear from Woody French about that open skies agreement that Daryl ra- um, raised at the top of the show coming up right after this. And we're back. Linda Swain in for uh, Patty Daly, trying to do- send off a few emails here now. <laughs> Sorry about that. We're going to... Oh, what? What? Yes. Okay. I know. I know Dave. Uh, we're going to go now... <laughs> <laughs> we have a good relationship, me and David. Uh, we're, we're going now to Woody French on line one. Hello, Woody. Good morning, Linda. How are you? Great. Um, so Daryl this morning raised the whole issue uh, about the Open Skies Agreement. And he says, you know, Flair has uh, encountered a few problems in this country in regards to uh, uh, some of the regulations in this uh, on this side of the border. But I, I remember hearing about Open Skies, but I can't remember any of the details. Um, does that have any impact? How is that working? Well, I... I haven't heard too much about uh, open skies. Uh, certainly, one of the things I think they should be looking at is a um, a universal program. Right now, you've got uh, um, a program in the uh, European Union. You got a program in the United States. You got a program in Canada. You got a program in Australia, and they all have different things in them. Um, we all fly. We're flying all over the world. So you think it would be something that would be mandated? Um, that would be a, a national agreement 
that everybody could um, could live up to. I haven't heard <clears throat> of any airlines that have gone out of business as a result of um, as a result of um, having an airline passengers bill of rights. Indeed. And uh, so each country, I suppose, as you just pointed out, has its own set of uh, rules and regulations. Do they do they align in many ways? Um, no, uh, unfortunately, uh, during my advocacy, I've been advocating that we adopt the um, European Union uh, Airline Passengers Bill of Rights. <clears throat> and of course, the lobby for the airlines in Canada is pretty strong. We're small in population, so it's easy for them to uh, contact the MPs and um, and do things there. And um, so the um, they are differences, and, and ours are pretty weak. The maximum fine uh, under our airline passengers bill of rights uh, is $25,000. That's insignificant um, to a large airline. And um, so really we don't have the same teeth that they have in, in other countries. So it's um, it's different from country to country. Some are better. Um, unfortunately, ours are certainly not up to, not up to par. And of course, it could be argued that the airline industry in Canada is vastly different from that in the European Union as a whole, because, I mean, you've got a relatively small landmass with a huge population and a lot of competition there and a lot of uh, variety of uh, airlines uh, taking you one way or another. And some of the flights are relatively short compared to Canada. My goodness, anywhere you want to go in Canada, you're looking at a, an extended uh, period of time in the air. Uh, so, it, it, you know, can you compare the EU to what's going on in North America? Well, you're still taking passengers from point A to point B. Uh, you've got a lot more competition uh, in the European Union than you have in Canada. So airlines that start up in Canada should have an easier go of it in one sense uh, than they would starting up in the EU. So, you know, I think that um, regardless of where an airline is, uh, to provide a standard of service to its clients that we would expect uh, to have in any industry, I think it's not uh, it's not uh, too much to ask for, and certainly um, shouldn't impact the level of service that we receive. I mean, uh, I've done a lot of flying and on um, a lot of the aircraft, certainly since the pandemic. I mean, every aircraft has been full, and uh, <clears throat> you know when you take another bunch of seats out of the system. It can't improve the system, and there was an interesting story in the in the newspaper this morning about a couple that cancelled as a result of, uh, pardoned upon the turbulence um, in the airline industry, and you know who they've been planning a trip to Newfoundland for a long time, and we could certainly use their business, but it got so complicated in changing of flights, <clears throat> and uh, they got notification that their flight was cancelled, then they got a notification saying no, it wasn't cancelled that the legs of the flight were changed. And, you know, I mean, people just can't cope with that, especially after coming out of a pandemic. So we're not asking for too much in Canada. And, um, you know, it certainly can be, it certainly can be beefed up. And, uh, you know, we, um, we um, need to keep our MPs uh, in the loop. And one of the things, because it is federal legislation, and I mean, we're fortunate in a way here, we've got two, two members of parliament that sit around the cabinet table. So when they hear of all the horror stories that are going on in the in the airline business, they certainly should have some impact with regard to reporting the issues around the cabinet table. And hopefully the government can certainly 
make sure that they follow what they're, uh, the airlines follow what they're supposed to do. As a matter of fact, the Minister of Transport has come out and said that uh, he expects the airlines to keep up to the um, Airline Passengers Bill of Rights as we have in Canada. And um, he says there's absolutely no reason why they shouldn't. So what's your assessment of what's been going on then in the last uh, little while with uh, these cancellations and delays and and the rest of it? What is happening? Were the airlines prepared in any way? Well, I think that's the, that you hit the nail on the head with regard to, pre- uh, to preparation. I mean, we've been, um, you know, caged up for so long. And um, uh, once the barriers came down to travel, I mean, you know, we just, Everybody in Canada wants to go somewhere and and get out of the routine that they've been in for the last two years. So, you know, they must have known that there was going to be a rush of people that are coming. I mean, pretty smart people in the airline business, and you would think that they would be able to anticipate the level of travel, and, and the airports should have been able to anticipate the volume of people that they were going to deal with and make sure that there was adequate uh, screening personnel in place. Uh, that the baggage systems were up and running and ready to take on any load that they were that they were given, and so on and so forth. I mean, what's gone wrong in the industry is not rocket science to uh, fix. But having said that, you know, instead of trying to get up, get on and fix the problems, all we're getting is, you know, finger pointing. The airlines blame the airport. They blame the government. The airports blame the government and. And the government basically says we're not in the airline business, you know. So people are sent in that vicious circle. And as a result of that, it gets confusing. And uh, one thing I would uh, counsel people to do is know um, what you're getting into when you're going to go on an travel uh, trip and make sure that you got, you know, as much prepared for as you possibly can because, you know, you got to, prepare for the worst case scenario and hope for the best. And I think if we do that, it's going to make it a little easier on us. And, um, you know, I also caution people to not take out their frustration uh, on the airline staff. I mean, these these people are working hard and trying to resolve your issues and so on and so forth. And by getting upset at them, it's not going to solve anything. And on a recent trip that I was on um, to visit my daughter, uh, in Toronto, uh, Peel Regional Police were called to the airport five times in one day over issues between passengers and staff, and that's not doing anybody any good. No, indeed. I wanted to ask you about the flight miles programs and uh, how some companies are uh, abandoning that. I know Sobeys is dropping uh, air miles, for instance. Uh, have you got time to talk about that after the break? Yeah, no problem. I can hang on. Yeah, hang on for a few moments. We're going to go to news now with Brian Madore. Really oh. appreciate your time, Woody. I'll put you back on hold. Okay. All righty. And uh, we'll be back right after this. Weekday mornings from 530 to 9. Jumpstart your day with Jerry Lynn Mackey and Ben Murphy. Newsmakers, traffic, weather, and more during your VOCM morning show. And just before the break, we were speaking with uh, Woody French about what's been going on uh, in the airline industry. But, uh, uh, Woody, we also noticed that um, these air miles programs that um, are offered by a variety of different companies and uh, as additions to 
to credit cards or whatever the case may be. Um, some companies are abandoning those now. Sobeys is a big one. Uh, they're going to be dropping air miles in August, I believe. Uh, so uh, what's been going on there? What's what's the benefit or the detriment, I suppose, to, to being involved in a, a, an air miles or a flight um, a bonus program? Um, I, there hasn't been a lot of um, publicity other than the fact that they've notified people that they were going to discontinue the program or stop their participation in these various programs. Uh, it's going to be, I think, difficult on people that um, rely on these types of programs um, for their travel and certainly to, um, you know, to families that um, are really watching every uh, penny that they spend um, it's going to be you know difficult now because they're not going to be able to take uh, trips like they used to because uh, this program is drying up the only thing um, that I can see is that a lot of these um, um, stores now are going to um, food type of programs where you get so many points um, uh, depending on the amount of money that you spend in the store. And I guess with the cost, they probably think that this would be a better program for them to have in place uh, than a program uh, like Irmalas. But certainly it's going to hurt uh, because, you know, believe it one way or the other, uh, somebody's going to pay for those seats on those aircraft uh, one way or the other. And um, as a result of that, um, it's going to be, I think it's going to be harder for uh certain people to to travel because these programs are gone and um i guess uh, one could argue the benefit and the drawbacks to these programs but i sort of think uh, for people that uh, that never had a lot of uh, extra money that they could have counted on these programs to go visit people and that type of thing so i i think um it's going to be tough on some people uh, when they discontinue it and and for sure um but um I've heard from people who've said, you know, it's almost impossible to get through there, and sometimes you can't get the flights you're looking for or the seats you're looking for when it comes to some of these programs. Is that part of perhaps what's been going on here, or is there a cost to the companies that uh, partner in in these kinds of programs? Um, yeah, I think that that's part of the, that's part of the problem. And of course, uh, on the other side of the coin is that. Um, uh, and I've never used um, I've never used uh, one of these programs, so I don't know how difficult it is. I have heard people uh, say that it was really difficult to get through uh, to some of these programs, and um, and um, I guess if um, if companies like Sobeys are getting complaints from their customers, then they're probably looking for a better alternative. But uh, there's no doubt it's going to have an impact, and uh, there's an uh, I think a number of reasons behind um, why people are, are, or why companies are getting out of these programs, and and that could be one of them. That the uh, you know customers are coming back to um, people that have these programs and saying, you know, I don't know why you're in that program because I tried to book a flight and blah blah blah, and that could be that could be another reason um, why uh, companies are getting out of these types of programs. But it's going to have an impact for sure. Woodrow French, I do appreciate your time this morning. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Linda. And certainly like to remind people in closing that uh, if you're booking a ticket and you get a ticket booked and you don't buy a seat, that doesn't mean that you're going to get a seat on the airplane. So be aware of that. And uh, I hope everybody um, 
uh, can overcome the, the issues that are ongoing and uh, make their trips this summer. And uh, thank you for the opportunity uh, to be able to uh, explain it to you. All right. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. We're going to go now to Julie on line three. Hi, Julie. Good morning, Linda. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Thank you for taking my call. I'm here in Marystown this morning, and the rain has stopped and is warm, and it's very nice, actually. Uh, yeah, it's supposed to be really kind of steamy, humid. Yeah, it's great. Uh, I wanted to give a call this morning, Linda, just to give a shout-out to everyone here on the Bureau Peninsula and Afar that uh, we are holding our 37th annual Festival of Folk Song and Dance this coming weekend. Oh, that's fabulous. 37 years. 37. Well, it would have been 39, but we had a two-year hiatus because of COVID, of course. And uh, so we're glad to be going back into it. Uh, we, we, you know, we're going with a little bit of a, a softer start than we would in normally, normally, normal times. Uh, we're calling it a re-entry year, and hopefully it will continue into future years without any more interruptions. But I encourage anyone who's in the area of Marystown uh, to drop by this coming weekend. It starts at Saturday at 2 p.m. at uh, Marystown Hotel and Convention Center. goes on into the evening, and we're back at it on Sunday at 2 p.m. again and going on into Sunday evening. And there's a, a great lineup of talent, uh, mostly a local flavor, which we always try to promote because that's the idea of uh, our annual Festival of Folk Song and Dance is, is to uh, not reinvent, but uh, to reestablish uh, the talent uh, of, of the people of the Bjorn Peninsula. So uh, we're hoping that uh, many people will take advantage of it, whether you're a local or you're a traveler and you want to take in some good music and and some good times. Uh, we're a family-friendly event, so it's alcohol-free. And uh, it's quite reasonable to, to uh, children. If you're under 19, you can get in absolutely free. Uh, adults are $10 per day or $15 for both days. Well, that's fabulous. Uh, so it's taking place at the Marystown Hotel Saturday and Sunday, 2 p.m. onwards, both days. It's the Festival of Folk Song and Dance. Who does the dancing? Oh, we have many dancers, many. Uh, a few years back, there was a, a group of young people called the Penny Folk Dancers who uh, w was revitalizing some of the old dances of, of uh, the, both the Bureau Peninsula and the province, like Running the Goat and, and, uh, and the traditional square dance. Uh, all of those now are grown up and gone and, and adults and got children of their own. But every year, a group of them always come back and, uh, and showcase the talent that they learned when they were children. That's fabulous. And are those type of programs, because I know there was some programming on the on the Buren Peninsula that incorporated that in the schools and the like, are those programs still ongoing? Uh, no, unfortunately, they're not. No. Well, that's too bad. It's, uh, it, it is. So, uh, so our festival tries to, uh, you know, keep, keep that tradition going. It's a reason for uh, people to reestablish themselves every year with, with the dance. And, and, and we don't want to lose all, all of our old songs either. A lot of them came from outports uh, in Placentia Bay. So uh, we, try, we, we get those incorporated into our festival each year as well. Well, that's a, a great way to uh, to keep history alive uh, because uh, so much is being lost over time. It's just well, a natural process, I suppose. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Julie, you don't mind giving us your last name, do you? 
Mitchell. Ah, of course. I should have known. Um, Julie Mitchell, I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you, Linda, for having taken my call, and I hope you have a great weekend. Same to you, and uh, all the best now for the Festival of Folk, Song, and Dance, Marystown Hotel, Saturday and Sunday, 2 p.m. onwards. Perfect. Thank you, Linda. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. And uh, we'll be back right after this. And we're back. We're going now to Simeon Chakapesh. Hello, Simeon. Hello, Linda. Good morning. Good morning. How you doing? I'm uh, I'm doing a lot lot better to compare two years ago, but um yeah I'm starting to get my health back again. So uh, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm so glad to hear that. <laughs> yeah, I'm really doing a lot better. Anyway, I uh, Linda, thank you uh, for taking my call. I just uh, have an issue with uh, Charity of Family Services, and uh, I've been having a lot of problems with them ever since uh, Sunderheart uh, and his life after he was after the damage was done under the. Uh, Child, child Welfare Act within the province of Newfoundland and Labrador. But anyway, I uh, I gave the trust back uh, I, uh, to child, to the to the department, and I've been working off and on with the different uh, occasions with them, and and uh, you know provide the service uh, to to them when they need it. But uh, here's the problem that I that I that I see every day that I hear from my own uh, my own people from Narashisha and also Shehajit that uh, we've been having that we've been having a lot of, lot of difficulties and a lot of uh, a lot of uh, non-cooperation uh, with them and uh, like I I work with them ever since January and I'm not going to go any why I'm working with them, but I, I do have a problem misleading people that uh, telling them the caregivers are are taking your child tax money, uh, banking them, uh, and that's that's not true, and that's not true, and that's that's causing a lot of family disputes within the within the family of you know you know people, and that's totally unacceptable because they're creating more problems than than good, they're creating more harm. And uh, I thought they they were going to change the uh, how they conduct the the, the dealing with the, with the you know people within Labrador after all so the damage. Let me back up for like, just a moment, Simeon. Uh, if if okay. I could, just so I get a better understanding of what you're saying yeah. is. Uh, mm-hmm. So, uh, what is this issue you're talking about with the cashing of checks? Uh, well, they they've been telling uh, the, the social workers. I've been telling uh, uh, biological parents. Telling them, well, your caregivers are banking, uh, taking your child tax credit, and uh, and it, it always ends up in uh, in the family disputes, and it's causing a lot of problems to some families, and and I know that's a fact, and 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 that's uh, that's the way it is. And, so, is it uh, happening or is it not happening? It is. It's not happening. What they're telling people, it's not true. It's totally false, and it's misleading, uh, misleading the uh, the biological parents. And uh, I don't know how to call them, but but I but I'm have a rightful to uh, to uh, accuse them that uh, this is not the way you're supposed to deal with uh, with your caregivers and and along with biological biological parents to uh, to to mislead them and cause the the chaos within you know families. So the it's caregivers oftentimes are are members of an extended family as well. 
Yes. Yeah. yeah. And that's and that's and those are the facts. And so it's causing friction, yeah. obviously. A, a lot of a lot of friction, a lot of friction, and and that's got to stop. And I'm in the, I'm in the process of writing uh, John Abbott, the minister of uh, CSSD, and uh, it, it, it's got to end. It does. It, it's totally uh, very unhealthy. Uh, uh, unhealthy practice, and it's it's causing a lot of friction, like like you said. So who do, um, who do who normally gets those checks? Who who is it issued to? I have no idea, cause we uh, we don't certainly know who 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 gets those checks because they're the one that seems to be making the decision making, and they're not uh, uh, they're not uh, inviting uh, the caregivers, the parents, what's the, the plan? And for the safety plan, and what's going to be happening within while while the child uh, under uh, the safety plan or in care, so they don't they don't do that. So it, it's totally unacceptable, and it's, it's very uh, uncalled for, and it's causing a lot of a lot of affliction within the within you know families. So even not, even when uh, children are returned to their biological families, yeah, I guess that, that tension yeah, remains. Yeah, and that tension remains, and it's going to be unresolved unresolved issues. I mean, how do you uh, reintegrate the, the the children and the families and the whole family back into uh, a healthy lifestyle if they're going to be continuing misleading people this way? And if they want to. Dispute what I'm saying. By all means, go ahead and prove it to me if they're not. And uh, because I have witnesses saying that what they've been telling them. So those, I mean, why would I want to make up publicly something that's that I'm uh, falsely accusing them? I mean, I know I know better than that because I'm a former uh, police officer, a former tribal police, RCMP. So why, why would I want to? Why would I want to defame their their character? I, I, I'm, I'm I'm a little bit too smart for that to do that. I mean, I don't want to be uh, liable for a civil action. Yeah. You so know, uh, uh, this uh, is uh, something that you've become aware of, or you've encountered. Yeah, yeah, I, I've been I encountered. I'm aware of a long time, and it's it, and they don't work with us. Uh, I mean, when Sunday Hardy was in care, I can only use an example what I experienced, what I saw, uh, what transpired with that family. Sunderhart was beaten while he was in care. He was knocked out, uh, knocked out, and his head was banged to the wall. He wasn't responding, and he was rushed to the hospital. He came back uh, to the center, and he's, he was never the same after that, and eventually he took his own life on May uh, May 24th or 27th. I'm not really sure. So so I have been been written about that. I was flagged uh, the information out of nowhere and uh, I have those facts I have witnesses Simeon, uh, are, are you? Oh, sorry I didn't mean to interrupt you there but uh, yeah, are no, you satisfied okay. with the fact that uh, now there's going to be this inquiry now uh, primarily led by by some of the concerns that you've raised yes most definitely most definitely it's a long waited uh, long waited of this inquiry I've been on, on this for the last 30 years uh, or, or more more so when I started policing my own community back in the uh, 90s and uh, probably 2016 when, when, when I lost my uh, last fought to get an inquiry, which after losing the sun's underheart. And finally, the provincial government agreed to say, well, we will have uh, an inquiry. So hopefully uh, this fall, the inquiry will commence the hearings. And, and I think... Uh, 
a lot a lot of stuff is going to come out and uh, and that's what we what needs to be done and i know and i understand the process it's not a criminal uh, proceedings it's just collecting the facts what transpired what went wrong what what uh, went right you know and uh, and i'm not disputing the uh, some of the uh, the child protection action that they've been took because that's it's, it's it needs to happen because the child needs protection and and their safety I, I have no dispute with that but what i'm disputing is how the system manipulate the uh the children's lives and and people and and children to lose their language and to lose their culture and to lose uh, a touch with their biological parents and their communities and some end up six feet under like not long ago my niece lost her son while he was in group home and that's that is devastating it should never happen and what kind of what kind of child protection is that? And uh, last two of my nephews frozen in on the ice not long ago, right after Tandehar took his life. So it's every year we lost lost relatives, and and, and I think it's a proper uh, it's a proper thing that the provincial government is agreeing finally agreeing uh, to hold uh, to hold a public inquiry against the child reform child welfare act, and and, and something needs to change. Something needs to change. Something is really happening. Why would a child take his own life while he was in, in protection custody, in protection care? You know, and why? How come Sunday Hart was beaten while he was in care and knocked out, and he, not, he wasn't responsible? Walked to the hospital and then took his life. Will you that's have? I don't. I don't. That's the part I don't yeah. understand. That's no, it's difficult for any parent to wrap their heads around things yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. But Simeon, yeah. will you have standing? Will you be testifying or participating in the, in oh the inquiry? Uh, yeah, I want to be the first one on on, on the list uh, to go and and tell my story, what I experienced. I I, I have a, a facts that I need to tell to share, and those those facts are not false facts. These are actual events that transpired, and the the, the stuff that I witnessed. I mean, my son was prescribed with antidepressant pills without my knowledge, and I begged uh, the social workers not to give it to them. But and behind my back, they did, and and destroyed Sunday Hart's uh, his mentality. You know, and that's not acceptable. You can't you can't do that to the parents. You can't do that to the children. Feed them with and drug them so that way they're not going to be depressed and tell you uh, and social service is going to tell you. Well, he's out. He's doing good. He's not. He's he's doing really good. He's not homesick. Yeah. How can how can a child be homesick when you drug them with these uh, with these depression pills? You know. Somebody's got to somebody's got to be accountable, and, and and I'm glad that our premier uh, Andrew Freire uh, stated to me when I saw him at the outside confederation meeting not long ago, saying, Simeon said, if there is a if there is a crime, uh, a wrongdoing to your, the, the children, if there is need to be a criminal investigation, and I'll support you with that," he said, and one of the best premiers I ever that I ever met in my life saying that to me, and he's very sincere premier. And you respect the children, you know, children. And he he's been been very very respectful to the Natashish and uh, and she had it, uh, issues. And that's the way it's supposed to be. You're not supposed to be divide and conquer uh, the, uh, people. But he he is there. He's trying his best. He's, he's a doctor and and he's, uh, 
He's learning the ropes like everybody else, like 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 myself. <laughs> Simeon, when does the inquiry get underway? Um, I'm really hoping before uh, before November, and, okay. and, and really really hoping and think and, and like I said, I'm going to be writing to the minister John Abbott, and I'm going to be uh, outlining these these problems that I encountered. But these are the facts. Okay. What I'm telling you, these are the facts, and they are undisputed because I know. I know I, 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 I'm one of them, one of those people. Simeon, <laughs> I, I, sorry, we're up to a break now, but I really appreciate your time. It's so good to hear, be hearing you back to your, uh, back to your feisty yeah, self. Well, um, yeah, yeah, and you I'm, keep I'm fighting and, and raising these important issues. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad I'm, health, I'm healthy, Ben. I'm, I'm going to be very vocal about any issues uh, concerning to Aboriginal people and, and regardless of who they are, where, where they're from, uh, I'm back to the saddle. That's all I can say. Good to hear. Uh, Simeon, thanks for this, and we look forward to uh, hearing what comes out of that inquiry. Thank you. Thank you. Right on. Okay. Bye-bye. And we'll be back right after this. You're busy, but you'll never be uninformed. Get up to date on the way home. The Drive on your VOCM. And we're back. Linda Swain in for Patty Daly, who is on vacation. We're going now to Sheila O'Leary. Hello. Oh, good morning, Linda. How are you this thanks. morning? I'm doing well. Thanks for taking my call. I'm so excited to uh, to uh, ring in some great news uh, about our uh, annual, uh, our 10th annual Mon Insurance Tickle Swim for Mental Health. 10 years. Is that right? I can't believe it. Uh, it's uh, just astounding that uh, we've come to this point in time. Uh, with our 10th annual uh, Tickle Swim, it started in a very small manner, and it's grown and and uh, gained huge popularity, certainly with the swimming and, and uh, kayaking community, and uh, all for a, a fantastic cause, certainly to support the Canadian Mental Health Association, Newfoundland and Labrador, and their invaluable programs that they provide to the community. You know, when we talk about mental health, as, as we talk regularly, um, we know that you know the past couple of years has just been extremely challenging on top of existing uh, uh, issues so um you know what i'm so so pleased that we can get back in person and back in the water this year absolutely and i see you have a sponsorship now Yes, so we have a title sponsor that's Mun Insurance. So they came on board. We're so delighted for all of our sponsors. Bell Let's Talk and Waterworks are also on deck, and you know we know that we're, there's probably going to be more coming. We, with our swim, we do have to cap it at 25 swimmers. And let's let's be clear on this: the brave, courageous ones are the swimmers who who take this on. They're the ones that really, uh, you know what. It takes a lot of guts to get in that water, that cold water, and swim 5.1 kilometers from uh, Portugal Cove, St. Phillips to Bell Island. And uh, so we do cap it at 25 swimmers for safety purposes. Uh, each of the swimmers uh, that register all have uh, independent kayak supporters, and we have safety boats. So um, we're really excited to launch it this year. The swim is actually going to happen a little bit later this year. Uh, September 17th is our date um, and with a uh, weather, you know, if the weather is not, uh, you know, if it's inclement, then we'll go to the September 18th. So it's a little bit later in the season this year, but it's, you know, swimmers know that September waters are really great uh, times for swimming. And uh, we're just so excited to to get, get this happening again, um, a full swimming in, in the water again this year and i guess theoretically the water should be a little tiny bit warmer 
Theoretically, yes, that's right. And of course, you know, we've become much more sophisticated over the years in terms of our safety protocol, trying to find out the optimal times to do a swim. You know, I mean, sometimes those currents and the winds and the tides, you know, they can really wreak havoc. So we have to be very, um, um, you know, we have to plan out very carefully the uh, the optimal times in order to um, for the swimmers to be in the water. Again, Mother Nature happens. This is this is an event that you know what we do take our chances uh, on the weather um, but luckily we have that that uh, opportunity to look ahead at tides um, where the moon is the moon actually has an influence certainly on the tides and the waters so all of those factors play in uh, to us selecting the date um, but it's just it's so exciting you know the towns of Portugal Cove St. Phillips with Mayor McDonald and um, and Mayor Gazine of Wabana Bell Island they've been incredible supporters uh, over the years uh, you know we're certainly really keen to have their ongoing support again and a community of volunteers people step up to be safety boat uh, marshals we had the rnc come in to support uh, you know what we have so many people from so many different ways that have come on deck the first year we went out we had seven swimmers swim across and uh, with you know very limited kind of experience um, and uh, so it's grown so we're here we are at 10 years and all of the funds that get raised um, will go to as I said really important programming that happens to Canadian Mental Health Association Newfoundland Labrador. I was going to say what are, what are some of the challenges faced I mean you've outlined some of them there but I mean y- this isn't for the faint of heart or or a, an occasional swimmer these are for really um, I guess seasoned and and um, fit I suppose swimmers well you know there's no doubt you have to be a fit swimmer to do this but you know what it's not just for uh, you know the the standard open water swimmer obviously we have people who are repeat swimmers they do this they thrive on it a lot of these swimmers actually go to events right across the country or internationally but we also want to make sure that the event is accessible for anybody who is capable of doing the swim. I mean, in past years, Linda, we've had, um, you know, a swimmer who was 62 years old. We've uh, we've had um, people who had just learned how to swim the year or two previous to, and really, you know what, they really challenged themselves. And I think it's a perfect way to encapsulate the challenges that people have when they are tackling mental illness and, and, and maintaining good mental health. So they really, you know, the physical, the mental, they really go hand in hand. Uh, It is a challenge, but it's open to anybody who can do the swim, who has proven to themselves and otherwise that they can do the swim, who have the safety supports in place because every swimmer has to have a kayaker. And and then, uh, you know, and then we go and we challenge ourselves. Do you have all your 25 swimmers in place now, or are you still looking for... No, this is it. We're opening the call now. We've got our registration open. Uh, We know that there are people chomping at the bit to register. People can go to tickleswim.ca to find out all the information about the swim, how it got started, the whole history, the people who have supported it. As I mentioned, we've, you know, we've got a title sponsor this year, which is really fantastic, Mun Insurance. And uh, we've also got Bell Let's Talk back again. Their, their ongoing support is really appreciated. And we have Waterworks who have also supported. And we'll probably have more coming on deck. We're, we're, we're aiming for $50,000 
uh, to raise this this year, which would be the largest amount that we we have uh, gone for over the years. But again, with the knowledge that this is about not only raising funds, but it's about awareness, making sure that we all support each other in the mental health cause. Are you swimming this year? I won't be swimming, but you know what? I swam twice before, uh, uh, obviously as founder, but I haven't had the opportunity to train in swimming, but I'm really hopeful that I actually will be able to be in the water to be kayak support for one of the swimmers. So I'm kind of changing my role. The kayakers are part of the safety team that makes sure that the, the swimmers are safe. And I do want to give a shout-out certainly to my co-chair, uh, Paula Tessier. Um, it's myself and Paula Tessier this year who are co-chairing this event. We've got a great team. We have, you know, an ongoing excellent Tickle Swim committee, Jen Guy um, and uh, Kimberly Davis, who, uh, you know, represent certainly the paddling and the swimming community really well. And uh, you know what? It's uh, it takes many, many people to make this event happen. So we'll have 25 swimmers in the water, but we're going to have a community of volunteers behind this to support it. Fantastic. Sheila, I appreciate your call. Thank you so much, Linda. So again, tickleswim.ca to find out more information, to register, to support the swimmers. If you want to, if corporate sponsors are chomping at the bit and interested in, in supporting, they can go there too. But September 17th is the date. So we look forward to talking to you more about it as time comes forward. For certain. And uh, if it doesn't work out the 17th, it's going ahead the 18th. I really appreciate your time. Thanks, Linda. You take care of yourself now. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. We're going to go now to Al. You're on the air. Hey, how are you doing? I'm good, Al. How are you? Oh, best time was here. Oh, she all leery going there and talk about the swim thing and all. It's all great and all that. But how come you never hear us talk about how bad the roads are and the waste money and the waste money on patching raw and stuff? You never hear us coming at their mouth. Well, what did, well, uh, you know, we have to put those questions to them, obviously, when they. Well, uh, I, I tried to put questions to them. I, I never hear us back from them, to be honest with you. Is that right? So, what, what are you. Never, what is your main concern? It's just the way they waste money. I mean, they need someone in there who's going to sit down and look at how much cash they waste. It's absolutely ridiculous. Waste on what specifically? Well, patching rind for one thing. My streets after patching rind that much in the past seven years can be totally repaved for probably a lot cheaper. And given the condition of the roads and our infrastructure and all the pipes and stuff, how come they just don't take the worst part of the city or whatever area is getting on, dig it all up, replace it, and put a good coat of pavement over it and have been done with it? You're right. raising an interesting point there, and I, I'm I'm going to try and see if we can get an engineer or somebody with the city or um, anyone who's involved in these this kind of work. Why why the this reliance on grind and patch? Well, exactly. It, it, it don't work. I mean, Mar Street. Okay, they live. They they'll have a patch that was done two years ago. It's cracked all the way around the patch. Now they'll come up and they'll they'll half of that patch and leave the other half with the crack in it. For I guess for keep themselves in work later on, and like these these contracts are did the city go up and decide what needs to be done, or they just tell the contracts ah go look around see what you can find and get back to us. It is freaking ridiculous. I noticed on Harbor Drive recently they've got a couple of sandbags in that crack. You know where they they had that big sinkhole there on Harbor Drive because oh yeah Harbor yep. Drive didn't uh-huh. used to exist. That's all infill from the the Great Fire, um, yep. and they, they, that sinkhole developed there on on Harbor Drive, and and I noticed that it's starting to open up again, and there's some bags in there. Yeah, yeah. 
Oh, that was ridiculous. So, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, deputy mayor, mayor, they should all sit down and let someone else get in there and do the job properly. All right, Al, I appreciate your oh, call God, this morning. It's absolutely ridiculous. And to be honest with you, if I would have known they were going to go on contest the last election, I would have ran myself against it. Is right? that right? Are you going to put your yep. mouth where uh, your money where your mouth is next time? Next time around, next time around, I'm seriously thinking about it, Jeff. All right. Well, we'll be looking for your name on the ballot. <laughs> oh, definitely. Yep. Al, I appreciate Already. your time. Okay, thank you. Thank you. All right, bye. Bye-bye. We're going to take a very short break. When we come back, we're going to hear about uh, some health care issues uh, from the Carboneer area coming up right after this. And we're back. I urge patience to anyone on the line right now. We're going to get through to the callers as quickly as we can. Uh, I, I looked uh, for a, an example of waste from Al when we were talking about uh, uh, city spending and that sort of thing. And uh, he mentioned the grind and patch. But uh, um, I received an email while he was on the air saying the City of St. John's is a poet laureate for $10,000 a year. Um, is that the kind of expense that we should still be participating in in these kinds of difficult times and once something like that is cut out will it ever return um, I, I just throw that out there for people to respond to if they feel so inclined we're going to go now to Robert you're on the air hello hi Robert hi my name is Robert Pinson I'd like to put it on the air because I spoke to a bunch of people in the emergency room last night at Carbonell Hospital and she was on the same boat page I was on and what's that? What I seen there last night in Carbondale Hospital would make a blind man cry. Oh, yeah? Yeah, people on chairs sleep there for six, eight hours, ten hours. And uh, I was there seven and a half hours, never, never got to see a doctor. Seven and a half hours and didn't get to see a doctor. I was talking to one gentleman there, he was nine hours, just wanted to go home, and the doctor said he was wasting his time. He had, he had, he had issues. Did you have any of your issues resolved in the end? Yeah, uh, I had to call Amos last night, 1 o'clock, to, get, uh, to go to Crescentia, and he told me life. How so? Well, I was seven and a half hours in Carbonate, and then there was a bunch of ambulance come in there, and he was looking after the ambulance drivers, and the people on the books in the hallways was was not looked out to. My name never moved on the list in seven, seven and a half hours or something. So you ended up going back home, is that correct? I, I went back home and one o'clock last night I was in a lot of pain, so I phoned the ambulance in Pacentia and the ambulance drivers treated me like gold and the people in the hospital emergency room in Pacentia saved me life. Oh, wow. And, uh, you Wait, know. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing marvelous, and i got a lot on me just to get off, if you've got the time to listen. Well, go ahead. Well, I see people sleep on chairs, not leaving the emergency room to uh, to go and, and, and get a drink of water. There was no water in the hospital. Everything was closed up. You couldn't get a drink of water in the hospital, and you couldn't leave the park, and I'd go look for water. I was there seven hours, no nothing to drink. And the bathrooms was in a mess. No one did to clean them. Not enough staff. I called CBC News on the issue, issue and they put me on the answer machine. And I called uh, V and they put me on, going to put me on hold. I, I, and I couldn't go on hold because I was waiting for a call from the emergency room to get dealt with. I called NTV News 
And, well, I, I went through that one. Well, you're here now, and so um, uh, have you had occasion to visit Carboneer General in the past, especially the ER? No, ha- have things changed? No, that was my first trip, and it was, they treated me like gold, and the doctors was excellent. I was there probably three hours. I never got back home till 6 this morning, and, uh, and I've been up since 20 after 4 yesterday morning with issues. Did you ask to be sent to Placentia, or how did that work? No, I asked to be sent to Placentia because I never had no luck in Carbonell. I was there seven and a half hours, never got seen to. And so you're close enough to Placentia to? Yeah, about an hour. It was about an hour to Carbonell, but we're in hospital. It's been shut down till I don't know, sometime in July. Everyone's gone on holidays. So that was an eye-opener for you, in other words? Well, I guess so. I, um, Honestly, I would have been treated better in Russia. This might be exaggerating a little bit, but... but Do you have a, a family doctor, Roberts, to follow up with? Yeah, he's gone on holidays, and mm-hmm. I haven't seen him in two and a half months. Mm-hmm. I went to Whispering with some issues. I had two issues, and I was told one issue per visit, and go see me family doctor on the other issue. Right, because that would be an ER. So them issues were dealt with in Whitburn mm-hmm. uh, on June the 21st. I, w- I wouldn't have had a call Amos last night to go to Carbonell, but the issues in, in Whitburn was not dealt with. Yeah. So it got worse. I ended up going to emergency in Carbonell because nowhere else to go. The Claremont got, they are backed up eight, ten hour waiting period for mm-hmm. people to go there. Whitburn is shut down. And are these I had one, one doctor there yesterday? Are these issues that sh- uh, your your family doctor could have dealt with as well? Yes, my family doctor could have dealt with it. Yes, yeah, but, it, but your family doctor is over, on vacation. He was overworked. He was looking after his clinic in Chapel Iron, and he was on emergency call in Whitburn. So the man was over. He was an elderly man. He was overworked and, and probably underpaid. So what's the solution, Robert? What's the solution? People in Newfoundland wake up. Burn off the highway. Have, have demonstrations like the truckers. Do do something. I, I mean, I mean it, it, it's unreal. I, I worked 43 years as a pipe fitter. I give 15% of my home pay went to taxes and 33% of my growth was paid into the government. I'm driving around on potholes. I'm not allowed to catch a fish or when they tell me to. I got high gas prices, high insurance on the house, and I'm I'm on fixed income. I'm retired. I got a bad back. I had to give up working. So I I am up to my eyeballs with Newfoundland government. If I went on a job and and done what they're done, I'll be fired in two days. I, I I wouldn't be there long enough to get EI on climate. So, I mean, get rid of the government and put, put a bunch in there from kindergarten. They, they run it better. The government we got there, they wouldn't run a, 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 a bingo for senior citizens. Right to lunch. I've never called this, this before, but I'm, I'm, I'm frustrated to live in Newfoundland. I'm, I'm not a proud man to live in Newfoundland no more because we're not looked after. We got oil here. We got minerals. We got everything here on your government. You can't look after what we got here. We, we, we should be the richest place in the world. Robert, I really appreciate your call.
I got more to say. Well, unfortunately, we're up to uh, news time, and we've got uh, quite a few people who are um, on the line. But I think you've made your points really well. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. I'm not back anymore because I never got off my chest what I want to say. Well, I'm would okay. We've got another minute or so. Do you want to? No, as long as I got wind in me. I'm not, I'm not letting this issue go away, and, and I hope when I call on the people in Newfoundland and Labrador to back me, they will. I hope they will. And down the road, there, w- there will be plans to, to have a demonstration or, or something to get the people stirred up and, and get rid of the government we got there now because they're not doing their jobs for them. Get rid of them. Well, that's what elections are for. Thank you very much. Thank you for your time. All right, Robert. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh, well, your thoughts on what he's had to say, I would encourage you to give us a call. I was going to go to Jerry next, but we're uh, too close to news time. A uh, little warning to Brian Medore. Uh, we're going to go to news just a tad early. So, uh, Jerry, hang in there, and we'll be back right after this. Nutrition, exercise, keeping the cold at bay. Whatever keeps you feeling great, the Wellness and Healthy Lifestyle Show on your VOCM. And we're back. Linda Swain in for Patty Daly, who is on vacation. We're going to go now to Jerry. You're on the air. Hi, Jerry. Yes, ready, Linda. How are you? How is you? Good, good. So after me, long you good. That's right. Because there's a lot of people out there. It's not good, eh, boy? No, that's right. We we're here. For, we're here from them all the time, unfortunately. Yes, that's 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 true. Yeah, because mm. that's like myself. I, I'm not this, but myself. But I'm up to the age, and that's it. And that's how you expect. Right? right. So, what's on your mind? Yeah, I tell you what's on my mind. I must be proud. Now, they they will talk about uh, uh, going to. Uh, uh, after the after the money, they just talk about right, like you know what I mean. Like uh, it's only going to charge so much, eh? But I don't believe that, see. Because I tell you what, no, I don't believe it. Because Newfoundland and uh, while well, we say Canada is all corrupt, eh? And whatever this is, they goes back on it. Like the government here in Newfoundland, now they goes back on their word, eh? Now, I'm not saying now does everybody's fat, but uh, the the government is is, is uh, responsible for everything. Is I right or wrong? Well, yeah, they provide the services uh, and and sure set do. the policies and and uh, the regulations and the legislation and all that stuff. Sure, they, they do. So now, well, see, uh, they're going to come up with with all that money for for Muskrat Falls because. They can't do it on what 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 they're doing. And another thing, now I want to refresh that now to something else. That's like now, most of us, the the Hexons in Newfoundland with cars and that kind of stuff and killing people and all that kind of stuff. Trudeau brought in the dope, right? He brought it in and legalized it. And see, this this is a poor thing because first of all, most of the Hexons is caused by dope and that kind of stuff. Right. Well, actually, a lot of it is caused by distracted driving or careless driving, uh, yes, speeding, yeah. and that sort of thing. That's right, Linda. You're you're right on the money, but because now I, I can't I can't speak very well anyway, but I can speak a little bit anyway. But uh, that but the legalization the, of marijuana, if that's what you're talking about, um, uh, helps to regulate it because uh, previously people were still smoking it, but it was against the law. So why not legalize it and set policies and legislation around it? Yeah, 
Because, see, first of all, now, the society talks about it on, on TV is legalizing the, 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 the drink and, and that kind of stuff, right? Like liquor and all that kind of stuff, whiskey and rum and beer and all that kind of stuff. There's no talk about legalizing the, 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 the marijuana and that kind of stuff. See, the reason why is that they cannot do it because, first of all, everything is a, a hook swing. Has no, gone to the bottom. Everything has gone right to the bottom, and the government is costing it off. So you're not too uh, fussy with uh, the way that things have evolved. Uh, uh, will you be changing the way you vote in the coming? Oh, indeed, I will be changing. Yeah, indeed, I will be changing. And uh, no, I'm in the the, the Bannerster Clanville area, right now. First of all, we got nothing no in, involved in 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 the in the because you can go out there and talk about what you like, but there's no good see. And on open line, there's ass right over Newfoundland, and you're go, you, Linda, you're doing a good job. All right, Jerry. Well, listen, you have a good day. Yes, and you have a good day too. Okay, thank you now, Linda. All right. Yeah. Bye now. Bye. Um, Jerry had to get a few things off his chest there, which is great. That's what this is all about. We're going to go now to the MHA for Topsail Paradise. He also happens to be the uh, critic for the Health and Community Services Portfolio. Paul Din, hello. Good morning, Linda. How are you this morning? I'm doing quite well. Uh, good to hear Patty got a couple of days off. Oh, he deserves it for sure. Yeah, no doubt about it. No, I just want to call in and just comment on uh, on the, the uh, I'll call it the mini shuffle, although it was a pretty major shuffle. Uh, yesterday, and uh, you know, bringing in a new minister to uh, deal with health care. Um, you know, if you be- if you believe the saying that change is good, well, there's about 125,000 Newfoundlanders, Labradorians that are hoping that uh, that rings true, because uh, you know what the minister's taking on here is a huge challenge uh, for this province, and I'm hoping uh, I'm hoping that. Uh, He'll do due diligence to it, and and we'll see some improvement. A uh, little bit hesitant about it because I, I know this government uh, has been, uh, you know, essentially in a holding pattern for a long time. They're they're not the most proactive. So uh, seeing this change, uh, which was long overdue, I, I think uh, you know uh, we needed the change in <coughs> excuse me in the uh, in the healthcare portfolio. Um, and I'm hoping that this will, uh, this change will, will work out because I mean, there's really only one way for us to go now, and that's up in terms of healthcare. Well, there's uh, a lot of big changes oh, that are afoot uh, and 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 that need to be made. Oh, there's no doubt about it, you know. And I, I was a little disappointed yesterday when I was hearing the news, and and part of the narrative went on about, uh, you know, uh, the, the past minister of health being the longest serving in the health portfolio, and uh, I think that was part of the problem. Uh, in essence, I mean, when you look at uh, the latest Angus Reid poll, uh, the time the minister was in in in, in the portfolio, and uh, and the time that we started seeing peaks in dissatisfaction and, and lows in satisfaction healthcare uh, coincide, with the exception, of course, the COVID years. So you know, there there was a problem there, and I'm not I'm not putting it solely on uh, the minister's shoulders, but there was a problem there, and the minister took on the role. So it's good to see a change. Well, arguably, would it have been difficult for government to make those changes during COVID when we were dealing with this, uh, you know, public health crisis? 
well, you know, it, it was said many times during COVID that the uh, chief medical officer was the one uh, making the decisions, and, and rightly so, and was given a lot of the praise on it. Uh, I think uh, ministers in their role have, have staff and resources supporting them. So uh, I'm not quite sure, uh, you know, that they couldn't have made a change during COVID. Uh, you know, uh, Dr. Fitzgerald was the uh, the face and the poster child, so to speak, for for uh, the COVID, and and of course the minister at the time had, you know, we had, and rightly so, uh, applauded the work of of uh, the chief medical officer and the the supporting staff. So uh, I don't, you know, I don't think uh, there was an issue if they had to change in the middle of COVID. But I mean, that's my opinion on it. I mean, and, and we know that. Uh, that the chief medical officer uh, did a fantastic job, but but what's the problem with the with it, with it is that uh, COVID became an excuse, and probably a valid excuse, but but still there was issues that were here before COVID. You know, our, our physician shortage is is huge, and we uh, we keep hearing on that on a daily basis. I was listening to Robert, who just called in just earlier. You know, the frustration in his voice over this. Uh, we're seeing the ER closures. Those are those are huge issues. Long-term care and, and treatment of seniors. I hear those on a regular basis, on a daily basis. Uh, there's things that could have been dealt with. Mental health. The long-term mental health wait lists are enormous. They're growing daily. These are issues that should be dealt with. And uh, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that the new minister will uh, will put those new set of eyes on it. And I'm, I'm looking forward to having some dialogue with the minister and, and talk about these and offer solutions. Our frontline healthcare professionals are well, well overworked and strained. And, uh, you know, we see the health accord coming in. I mean, the health accord, the implementation strategy is, is that it's, it's, it's suggestions on how we should move forward. Uh, and I don't, you know, that's not a short, that's not going to happen in the immediate term. So I'm looking at the minister Osborne. Uh, coming in here, and hopefully it'll, it'll uh, grab those reins and start dealing with the immediate issues that need to be addressed here. And we've heard it in the news when it comes to recruitment, and we see what our neighbor Nova Scotia is doing, setting records for doctor recruitment, and we're here probably setting records for them going out, leaving. And, you know, these are things that uh, seem quite simple to, to, to deal with, you know, establish a rapport with our graduates. Someone said the other day, you know, when they saw the 81 medical graduates, uh, 81, 80 odd, cross the uh, stage uh, at graduation, they said they were walking across the stage and they said they're probably going to keep walking. And that's a sad, that's a sad narrative for where we are. And, uh, you know, I'm hoping uh, Mr. Osborne will, will have a very close look at all these issues. I'm sure he will. But we have to come up with uh, actions in, uh, that, that happen in a timely fashion that allows our, uh, our residents, our Newfoundlanders and Labradorians, to, to be confident that they're going to get the care they need when they need it. And, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's my biggest hope here. So, so if change is good, uh, I'm hoping this will happen. But I guarantee you I'll, I'll be uh, and our party will keep the pressure on to, to ensure that some of these changes occur. And there's suggestions out there, Linda, for I've offered over the years suggestions on ways to uh, uh, create a healthier, uh, healthier population and to uh, invest in uh, health care that uh, will pay off dividends in, in the years coming. You know, uh, one, one that comes to mind is continuous glucose monitoring devices. I mean, those for a small investment 
you can have huge returns. So I'm, I'm going to have those chats with the, the minister and talk about the in vitro fertilization uh, services and, and go on. There's a whole long list there. So hopefully we'll get some progress there because, as I said earlier, we've been in a holding pattern and uh, we haven't been proactive at all. The government hasn't been in dealing with, with uh, health and we've been pushing the envelope on this, but uh, to no avail. And uh, we're just going to we're going to hopefully uh, I'll develop a rapport with Minister Osborne and uh, we can work through this and uh, in the spirit of collaboration, which is a word that gets tossed around quite a bit. Uh, but I'm hoping that uh, we'll uh, we'll be able to uh, talk about these problems and come up with some solutions in the immediate term that help uh, deal with the issues that can help ensure that doctors want to stay here and that doctors want to come here. And, you know, it's not just all about doctors either. It's our whole frontline healthcare professionals, you know, our nurse practitioners, our paramedics, our PCAs, our LPNs. It, it just goes on and on. You know, our diagnostic uh, staffing. We have issues across the board in those and that need to be addressed immediately. And like I said, health court, the health court is going to, you know, depending on what parts of that get implemented, uh, that's good in the uh, medium to long term, but we're talking short term. We're, we need something right now in the next uh, three to four to five years that ensures that we get the, get the health care that we need. And, uh, you know, we're going to keep on that. And as Robert pointed out, I mean, um, you know, taxpayers are, are frustrated. You, you you pay your taxes. You don't see much in the end. Um, uh, expenses are going up all the time. Cost of living is going up. Yeah. Gas, groceries, the rest of it. And then when you have an issue and you need a doctor or you need to seek out health care or your mother needs to go into a home, um, you see where the where the system is wanting and, and it's frustrating. And you could hear that frustration in Robert's voice for sure. Oh, I, I, I get it. You know, it's just yesterday got another uh, issue uh, come to, to me on uh, on a grandmother uh, who's taken emergency to the department and, and waited in the hallway for 17 hours. And, uh, you know, it's sad to say, but 17 hours is not as bad as some of the cases I've heard. But think about it. This woman's 87 years old and out in the out in the hallway waiting for 17 hours to see someone not very dignified is it oh not not at all and this this is what we've got to start addressing and we've addressed issues earlier in the year where you had a couple married for over 70 years and separated separated uh in different institutions i mean you mean to tell me we, we can't come up with solutions around things like that it's it's uh, really terrible. I had an individual just recently who uh, who spent 21 days up in the acute care waiting for a bed, and you know passed, and I attended the funeral. I mean this 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 is uh, you know this is real life and death for a lot of people, and if we're talking about a healthier uh, healthier population, yes, there's the pre- preventative part of it, but there's also the part of it that that uh, you look after some of the ailments people have to assure. They maintain and continue to be a, a part of society, and and, and uh, you know not end up on a deathbed. And uh, hopefully, uh, with a change here, I mean it's a long time coming. I, you know, as I said, it's, it's too bad uh, it took seven years uh, to make a change in this portfolio. Uh, I think for someone in the portfolio for for that length of time, yeah, you you need new eyes on this. And uh, I'm hoping that new set of eyes is going to. Uh, 
be positive. <laughs> and to talk about eyes, I mean, you talk about, uh, you know, uh, I'll give credit to the independent member, uh, Eddie Joyce, who's been pushing for uh, treatments for uh, for eye surgeries. And so, I mean, these there's there's so many issues in healthcare that need to be addressed. And uh, I, the health accord will help, but I don't think it's our savior. We need some some changes right now, immediate that we got to start looking at. Paul Din, yeah. we're overdue for a break. I really appreciate no. your time. I appreciate your time, uh, Linda. Thank you. Okay. All the best. Bye bye. Uh, Veronica's waiting in the queue. We'll talk to her right after the break. And Linda Swain is in for Patty Daly. Uh, we are going to go now to Veronica, who's been waiting on the uh, line there. Hello, Veronica. Hello, hello, Linda. It's uh, very nice to speak with you. If I'm a bit nervous, this is my first time calling. Well, I appreciate the call. Anyway, I'll begin by saying um, I grew up in Bowering Park. I'm an avid walker there every single, well, that's a lie, four days a week I walk there every day for at least two hours. I'm calling. The park is immaculate. The grounds are perfect. The staff is lovely but the bathrooms are filthy they are absolutely disgusting i would not bring a small child in there to change i'd be afraid of what they might catch the men's bathrooms apparently are even worse they stink as you go in that's all you can smell is urine the ladies bathrooms are in terrible shape the rust on the doors it looks like it hasn't been washed down in years. The only new thing they've put in those bathrooms in the in the years I've been walking are new heaters, and they put those in about two years ago. That's it. Now, that nothing done with those bathrooms. They are absolutely disgusting, and it's not just one bathroom. The bathroom, the old bathroom up by the new swimming pool, that's just. It's even worse than the one down by the duck pond. The other one over on the side, I haven't been in it in a while, but I've been told it's not fit. We met a counselor in the park one morning by accident. My friend and I, we walk every day. Oh, yes, I'll, I'll look into that. That was four months ago. We've com- I've complained to City Hall, calling up, asking, telling them, I'm going to take pictures and go to the media. Is this what you want me to do in order to have these bathrooms cleaned up? You know, I know that they're used by a lot of people, but trust me, uh, I've gone into um, federal government buildings that are that are there for the tourists, and they're spotless. Why can't they? Why can't they not keep Bowering Park cl- the bathrooms clean? So I mean, you say you ran pay- into a counselor in the park and mentioned Absolutely. it to them. Absolutely, um, we did. We did. And um, have you called the city or, or spoken I've to park staff? The, I've called the one three one one number and complained several times. Oh yes, ma'am, we'll pass on the information. Well, guess what? They didn't pass it on, obviously, or they just don't care. The, the councillors, they're there to service the people of this city. I pay taxes just like anyone else. I am sick and tired of calling. I don't, and I'm not the type of person who will go down to a meeting. No, I shouldn't have to. My phone call, and I'm sure there have been other people call. Actually, your, your, uh, the guy that takes the phone calls, he told me. He's been in them. They're not fit to go into. So, so does it require uh, simply a cleanup or a complete overhaul? Well, the stalls are all gone rusty. They're rust, and it's not painted over. It's just the rust has come through. The stalls need to be, in my opinion, either 
hose down and all scraped and the rust taken off. If, if they tried to take the rust off, I think it would just fall apart. I think they really need to be replaced. But that's my opinion. Somebody else might have another one. All I'm saying is the floors are filthy. The toilets are given a swipe out, and the, the staff do the best they can with what they have. And, but it's ridiculous. It's absolutely disgusting. And we have tourists from all over the world going into those bathrooms in that park. I, I, like, it just blows my mind. And it's it blows a, my mind. And the park itself is, is, is a jewel. It's beautiful. Mm. It's beautiful. It's, it's our jewel in this city. And they, they have these bathrooms that are not even, they wouldn't have them in a third world country, some of them. I, I mean, it's crazy. It's just crazy. Well, Veronica, I'm glad you raised it publicly because uh, oftentimes, you know, we grumble amongst ourselves or make a few phone calls and yeah. hope it, it gets uh, some attention. But by raising it publicly, it, it, it no doubt it's going to either embarrass someone or, or cause someone to, to take a serious look at it. I mean, it's not going to cost $100,000 to refurbish three bathrooms. It's, it's not. Uh, well, maybe if it does, they get all kinds of grants from the federal government. Use some of the money to, to repair the, 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 the bathrooms in, in the parks in the city. Veronica, and, we're up to news time. I really appreciate your call. Okay, thank you very much, Linda, and you have a great day. You too. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh, Veronica there on the state of the bathrooms in Bowering Park. We're up to news time now with uh, Brian Medor. Alexander's in the queue uh, wanting to uh, speak about a fundraiser that had to be moved, so we want to hear more about that when we come back right after this. Your VOCM Mornings with Jerry Lynn Mackey and Ben Murphy, 5.30 to 9 a.m. weekdays on your VOCM. And we're back. Uh, Linda Swain in for Patty Daly, who is on vacation. If anyone is wondering, we're going now to Alexander. You're on the air. Hello. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. What's up? Well, so I have my concert that's on July 9th at 2 p.m. It's a food bank fundraiser concert. It's helped fill the shelves of the food bank in this time. And, you know, in respect of the city of Mount Pearl, their workers and the council, I have now moved it from St. David's Field to my front lawn that is 123 Michener Avenue. Okay, so you're going to have to uh, back up a little bit, uh, Michener Avenue. Um, So, uh, Alexander, your name is Alexander Taylor? Yep. And you play music, obviously? Yes. I fancy music. I love playing some Newfoundland folk. And that's mostly what I will be playing there. I have a few special guests that will be playing a variety of music, and I'll be also playing different music. Fabulous. So you had planned this um, fundraising concert for the local food bank? Yes. I see. And why was that so important to you to do? Well, I know in these times, like, living costs have gone up, and it's getting harder for people to get food for their families. So I really wanted just to help out and try to – get some people some food for the summertime so you had planned this concert in st david's field obviously that's that plan has changed Uh, so is there Uh enough space now on michener avenue for you to do that on your on your lawn i have done it once before and i believe i'll be able to do it again so yes Oh, fabulous. And so what are, what are you asking? That people just, uh, um, a goodwill um, donation? Or are you asking for a specific amount? Um, no, I'm just I'm just wishing that some, everyone who wants to watch to come down, just bring one perishable food item or a donation of like a few dollars to help out. 
fabulous. And so you'll be donating that then to what? I'll be donating all of this to the local food bank, St. Vincent de Paul. And yeah. So you've done this before, obviously. Yes, last summer. And how did it go then? It went quite well, really. I got a lot and I felt really good. So I was like, hopefully I can try to do this again and get even better. So what makes you so community minded? I love helping people because I know that my talent shouldn't be just there to help myself or just like listen to music, play music for myself. I like to give it to others and try to help others with it. Fabulous. So what do you play? I play a variety of instruments. I won't name them all. I have a lot. I, but my main ones are guitar, piano, and accordion, and I do sing. Right on. And this is going to be mostly sort of uh, Newfoundland trad type of stuff? Yep. Excellent. Uh, what uh, attracts you to that uh, genre? I have. I don't really know, but I really like how it it feels, and it makes me like remember all of the things that I've been learning and stuff about Newfoundland history. And it makes me really just happy to continue knowing that the Newfoundland music can continue on. And uh, where do you hope to take this all, Alexander? It sounds like you are a, a born and bred musician. Uh, are you hoping to make that your profession, or have you got other ambitions? I hope to someday make it bigger and better and maybe even get further with my Newfoundland music and help more people with it. Well, that's great. And you have this uh, community-minded uh, way about you as well. How old are you? I'm 13, turning 14 in August. Is that right? Fabulous. So you're going in grade nine? Yes. Excellent. And you uh, go to school in Mount Pearl? Yes, I go to Mount Pearl Intermediate. Oh, fantastic. Well, Alexander, uh, Mount Pearl is, uh, I'm sure, very proud to have you among their citizens. Uh, so that is um, a fundraising concert for the St. Vincent de Paul Society. Uh, you're holding it July 12th from 1 to 2 p.m., is that correct? Um, no, July 9th from 2 p.m. to 3.30. Oh, I'm sorry. I got that all wrong. July 9th okay. from 2 to 3.30 on the front lawn on Michener Avenue of your house. Yes. Alex yep. And to confirm, it's 123 Michener Avenue. 123 Michener. So if you hear some uh, tunes and you want to tap your toes, head on down. Yep. All right, Alex Alexander, all the best to you. Thanks. Thank you. See ya. Okay. Bye. Um, great. What a great... That just warmed my heart, I got to say. We're going to go now to uh, Rob. You're on the air. Morning. Thank you for taking my call. Hey, no problem. I, I just want to call and uh, just to, to I'll, I'll give you a recap on, on the issue. Um, last July, we had an accident here in Grand Falls, Windsor, that took two lives and basically it occurred because somebody had come up the highway uh, the wrong way on a divided highway. We have three potential uh, places where they can actually enter onto the highway from where they shouldn't be. And the signage there is, well, in some cases, non-existent. Uh, in, in, in my view, it, it's certainly not up to par. And I think that perhaps it may have been a contributing factor. Um, you know, we, we've, we lost two lives, basically, because of this. And uh, the minister was made aware of it um, last year. And uh, he, he wanted to put it to public works for a quick response. This was his response to Chris Tibbs as well, the MHA for the area, 
And uh, since since then, Chris and I have spoken on a couple of different occasions. And uh, again, Chris uh, actually showed me a video of a vehicle coming up the wrong way since this has happened. Um, I've also had took pictures of another vehicle that came up the wrong way again. But yet here we are a year later, two lives gone, and we have done absolutely nothing. And, and I think the minister is being negligent. And, uh, you know, he, he needs to give this some attention because we have bigger issues here. And, and it, 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 it surrounds uh, emergency response as well. We have a divider wall going through town here that uh, divides right in between the RCMP having access to the eastbound lane for emergency response. As a result of that divider being in front of the RCMP building, they have to drive approximately 1.4 kilometers to cross the highway to get to the eastbound lane. Now, to me, that's safety stupid, and uh, it's negligent as far as I'm concerned uh, for, for the government to actually put the people in this position. And in a, now, an emergency, time is of the essence. Exactly. And, and, and to go back to the accident that occurred... Um, I'm thinking that if the response uh, came from the detachment and they had to get out to get to the highway, to get up the highway, to to intercept this vehicle before it got further up the road, well, I think, you know what, this may have been the deciding factor of, of those two deaths. Now, whether or not I can prove that or, or whether we can prove it or... I mean, we can't get those lives back, but we can certainly do something to prevent further lives from being lost due to this issue. And, uh, and you know, I, I spoke to Patty last year, and I, the other day I, I drove to St. John's, as a matter of fact, and on the way to St. John's, I was looking at the, some, of, some of the signage, and it's terrible. There's signs half missing. There's signs with chunks gone out of them. I actually emailed it to VOCM to open line here, so you can probably access those pictures to see what it is that I'm talking about. So I, I just want to call on the minister again to, to have a look at this because, you know, we when you go through other communities here in Grand Falls, Windsor, with this divided highway the way it is, we have a speed limit of 90 kilometers going straight through town. We've got um, roads that access the highway where you're coming from 40 kilometers on, on the on-ramp to get up to a speed of 90. And within the same road structure itself, you have vehicles coming off the highway at 90, having to slow down to 40. So uh, this is relatively in a small area. Uh, and, you know, it makes absolutely no sense. You go through Gander, the speed limit is 60. You go through Clarenville, there, there's not even anything on the sides of the roads, no businesses, no nothing. And the speed limit is 70 kilometers. But yet here we are with three or four or five intersections that have access to the highway that people use to get off the highway. And we still have 90 kilometers here. So, and the fact that you've had a, a number of cases where people have actually entered the highway going in the wrong direction indicates that there is a problem. Absolutely. And, and, and again, it, it comes down to some policing issues as well. We don't have enough police here. And, and I mean, this has been identified and identified again. And, and once again, Chris Tibbs did identify this and, and, and say that we need more policing in this area to help with this and other issues. So uh, again, I uh, wanted to say thank you for, for giving me the time to express this, but uh, you know, this has been over a year and we see very little response from the minister. 
and and I'm hoping that uh, maybe this call might uh, give him a little shake and 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 take take a look at this a little more seriously. Uh, I mean, Is a there year a way? I mean, we talked about this earlier in the in the week, as a matter of fact, this idea that, you know, you have a, a, a major route, the Trans-Canada Highway, which passes along or through quite a number of communities in Newfoundland and Labrador, Whitburn, Clarenville, Goobies, you know, there's a number of places that come immediately to mind, Gander, Grand Falls, Windsor, Deer Lake. Um, and and yet, you know, you've, you've got these situations where people are turning off or turning onto the highway, have to slow down in order to do that, and you've got people barreling through at speed and, as you indicated, in some cases, inadequate signage. Is there a better way? Should we have um, uh, service roads, bypasses? What, sh- what should happen there to, to help alleviate, alleviate some of these uh, dangerous circumstances? Well, uh, I mean, the first response to me would be signage, for one. I mean, if people don't know they're going in the wrong direction, well, it's a big help if they know. You know, and, and I don't think a lot of this has been adequately identified. And some of the signage that's being used is rather small, rather confusing. We have a lot of people that are coming to Grand Falls, Windsor now for service from the outlying communities, uh, whereas they were probably going to Gander before. And some of the services have changed places. So now we're, we're getting people coming from different communities who are unfamiliar with the roads or unfamiliar with the town. And, and you know, there's a number of factors like that that I don't even think we've considered. But uh, certainly signage seems to be the biggest issue and, and the, the quickest uh, response with, you know, with prevention. Um, there are some things that can be engineered out, you know, a, a different barrier uh, access down on, on one of the, the access points where we suspect that, or where I suspect the gentleman uh, came up the wrong way. I mean, it can be uh, marked a little more clearly. And uh, things like this that, that don't require a lot of money. It doesn't require a lot of time. It just requires some attention. And I think that, you know, the provincial government is being neglectful. And, uh, you know, if, if this is my family and my family was, was hurt because of this, I, I wouldn't be stopping here. I, I would be pursuing this on, on other levels as well. Rob, I really so, appreciate you know, your time for bringing uh, uh, and f- f- the, the fact that you've brought this up. I really um, uh, want to hear what, what other, bleh, I'm sorry, my tongue is not working today. What others have to say about it. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much. All Thanks right. for taking my call. Thank you. Bye-bye. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we hope to hear from you. And we're back into the final few minutes of the show. Uh, We do have a couple lines open. Uh, Steve is on the air. Hello, Steve. Yes, how are you doing? Good. That's good. Uh, I just want to reiterate uh, a point that a a caller made um, a little while ago um, about the bathrooms in Bowling Park. Okay. I'm born and bred a townie, and I hung around in Bowering Park, and I can guarantee you, um, I peed out behind the bathrooms rather than go into them. So I mean, it's not uh, it's not just a brand new thing; um, it's an ongoing thing and has been there for. <laughs> I'd say about 30 years, maybe 40 years. Um, And like for me to, um, 
uh, go behind the bathroom and have a pee. Um, and a lot of my friends did the same thing. They wouldn't go into bathrooms either. They and were what's... They, were, they were stinky. Um, uh, I, I don't... I, it's just... They were disgusting. And I do know um, that um, you can't have a, a city worker there um, to clean the bathroom every time somebody uses it. I fully understand that. But during the day, um, there should be like four or five times um, that the bathrooms are cleaned. Um, because the person that uh, and and the lady who called in earlier, she mentioned about the tourists. I mean, if a tourist goes into that bathroom and it's totally filthy, it's stinky and rotten, um, they're going to have two um, two minds about coming back. Well, you're right. You know, you can have the best time uh, on a vacation and you encounter something like that. And guess what? That's the thing that's going to linger. That's the thing you're always going to remember and the thing you're going to tell other people about. Yes. And it uh, and and unfortunately, um, first impressions are the longest impressions. And it's going to take a long time for somebody, say from uh, wherever. Uh, I'll, I'll just use BC as an example. If you take that person from BC and they walk, walk into a bathroom in St. John's, Newfoundland, in a public park, um, and they are disgusted, um, they're going to tell their friends. And their friends are not going to go to that park. Because if they have to use the washroom, they're going to be afraid. And I, I just think that the city of St. John's, where I, grew, I was born and raised, um, I, uh, I love the city of St. John's. I love it dear to my heart. But I just think they're lacking behind in um, customer service. And uh, it, they keep talking about tourists. Well, uh, if if you want tourists to come to St. John's and you want them to keep coming to St. John's, um, you have to have a clean and proper venue for them and the venue is the city of St. John. And and you're absolutely right, you know, there's a lot of emotions that you can sort of get over, but disgust is one that lingers. It it doesn't go away. If you if you if something made you feel disgusted, um that's something you you'll never forget. No, you will never. And and that's the unfortunate thing. Um, you know, it just it just really drives me that um, everybody is talking about tourists, tourists, tourism, 
and everything. But they don't uh, they don't think about the back doors. You know, it, it puts me in mind of uh, I visited the uh, Hearts Content cable station. Um, I can't remember if it was last year or the year before. Anyway, in the last couple of years, anyway, before the COVID, I guess. And um, one of the the lasting impressions I had when I walked in there, I went into the bathroom, and here's a building that is well over a century old, and the bathroom has the old wooden doors and all of that sort of thing, and that space was absolutely immaculate. I could honestly say you could eat off the floors in there. It was absolutely spectacular. It was the best example of how a public washroom <laughs> should be in my mind. And I've always remembered that, and I tell everybody about it. It was immaculate. Yes, and the uh, and I'm sure that the people who are... Uh, the caretakers of that property take care and pride in their um, their property, and I uh, I don't I don't understand why the uh, city of St. John's has has been lax on on. That particular thing. Well, uh, Rob, we'll have to leave it there. Steve, sorry, we'll have to leave it there. Uh, we're completely out of time. We're up to news time now, but I do appreciate yeah. your call, and uh, maybe this will get some action. Who knows? Uh, really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Yeah, you're more than welcome, and I thank you for taking my time um, and your time. All um, right. And I really appreciate it, Steve. I hope- Thanks very much. All righty. And uh, we'll be back tomorrow. Uh, Thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, Bye bye for now.